0: This is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. Many of us have heard stories about properties or businesses that are not too distant ancestors owned, and if you have, you probably thought, what a shame that it got closed down or sold. But what if you could resurrect the past and reestablish what has been lost? This is exactly what the descendants of P&H Egan, an old Irish whiskey brand from Tullamore in the county Offalay, decided to do. Known to produce some of the finest Irish whiskies in the world for over 100 years, Egan's, which also dealt in general groceries, was forced to close at the end of the 1960s due to the advent of retail supermarkets. But back in 2013, fifth and sixth generation family members got together to reprise the dormant enterprise and have since been sourcing and ageing expressions that celebrate their lineage. To find out more, we talked to Egan's master bonder, Rupert Egan, about legacy, conviction and how to plan your future after resurrection. Thank you for joining us, Rupert.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Now, we should probably start with your title. Mm. If people aren't aware what a whisky bonder is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're not a distiller as such, but rather an explorer and curator of whisky, as your predecessors were. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's that's a, a good summary, Tiff. So uh, up until the you know the late nineteen sixties, uh, the distribution model for whiskey was quite different. So uh, it was you know you, you referenced in in your uh, your introduction that it was in the late nineteen sixties that P and H Egan went into voluntary liquidation. What really prompted that was indeed the, the opening of supermarkets and the kind of slightly changing face of commerce. And how trade was done, but not least of all the advent of bottling from distillers who started bottling their own their own whiskies. So prior to that, bonding houses used to take uh, full barrels. Uh, they often used to bottle it themselves or deliver it to uh, pubs in full barrels. Deliver it to on premises in full barrels. So a bonder would have been um, a, a non-distiller insofar as it, you know he, he didn't own his own distillery, but he would take casks of uh, of new make spirit or of mature whiskey or maturing whiskey and store it in his own bonded warehouse uh, mature it in his own bonded warehouse often choose his own casks and then often choose the blending process at the end uh, for delivery to to customers via you know public houses or bottling it uh, himself in his own bottling line so the Egan's were never distillers we have our a few old expressions you know old bottles that i've seen from the 1930s 1940s and they are, you know, they're. they're it's a Jameson whiskey. It's a it's a Powers whiskey from John's Lane, but it is bottled by p and
0: Just explain what exactly is the difference then between a bonder and a blender.
1: So bonding is is the, you know, bonding has a, a kind of a tax consequence with it as well. So. The, the distilleries would, would sell to the bonder who would have a bonded warehouse, so, so excise duties wouldn't be, wouldn't be payable. That wouldn't be payable until the, the whiskey came out of that bonded facility, out of you know a, a, a large warehouse. You know, to put it simply, at the end of the bonding process, in some instances, the casks would be sold as, as is. Uh, in other instances, they would be so. Uh, you would have the marriage, the, the the blending of several casks together, different styles of whiskey, and then the bottling of that married, blended product uh, into bottles and then sold. So the the, the bonding is a kind of a, a storing and a maturation and kind of a a, a shepherding of of the process. Whilst the whiskey uh, matures, once it turns often from you make spirit into whiskey, and then when you marry those products at the end, that's that's the blending process.
0: Now, many of our U.S. listeners will be very uh, familiar with the term bonded or bond mm. bottled in bond. Does Irish law have the same protection as that that can be found in the U.S.?
1: No. So you, you'll see some. Producers in Ireland put things like sort of borrow those expressions saying bottled in bond. It doesn't have the same meaning as it does in the States. So, you know, there are only uh, a handful of genuine, pure bonders in in Ireland. It was it was something that we were very proud of that uh, that the Eagans used to do and did it very well and uh, reviewed very well for having provided a great product and having looked after some of the best spirits in Ireland Uh, so carefully so that's that's the route that we wanted to go down and just you know re-off the uh, the business as it was uh, back in 1852 and even before then but with regards to you know what you would need to to describe yourself in the states from a TTB perspective as a bonder doesn't exist in Ireland it's it's more a a colloquial business description in Ireland.
0: The Egan name is well known across Ireland Mm. But your knowledge of blending hasn't been passed down as such. Instead, it's been, I suppose, newly learnt. Mm. How much pressure did that put on the family to get it right?
1: You know, um, it's put quite a lot of pressure, Tiff. So just by way of background, I mean, I I used to be in finance. I lived in London for, for many years and... Uh, when I decided that i had um i wanted to change careers, I actually left my old job i quit my old job outside the the delivery room immediately following the the birth of my daughter and told my boss that I fancied doing something else and uh, i don 't think he quite believed me, but maybe ten years later he now believes me and the first thing I decided to do you know I wanted to get back into the family business and i and made it my made it my business to try and find out what I needed to do, what qualifications I needed to pursue, what time I needed to spend on this project really to to uh, to be credible. And uh, I met a really nice guy called James Swan. who was one of these uh, great master distillers. I was introduced to him by a chap called Fiona O'Connor, who's a great aficionado on Pastel Whiskey in Ireland. And Jim said to me, you know, Rupert, if, if you want to do this for the next 20 or 30 years you need to go and get a qualification. The qualification he recommended was uh, the Diploma in Stilling, which is offered in Scotland. So I spent about three years traveling back and forth to Scotland and sitting in uh, classes with all these extremely talented uh, quality control engineers, production engineers, blenders, uh, uh, stillmen. for the most part, working for Diageo. And I I made it my business just to try and ask them as many questions as I could. So I kind of immersed myself in this world. And the truth be told, I did more work for that qualification, which took me three years than I think I probably did in college. I enjoyed it an awful lot more, um, but they had this expression for me. They said I was just like this MI6 spy. Every conversation that would be going on, I would be listening into. There was this really talented woman who worked for uh, Compass Box. She was one of the blenders for Compass Box. And every lunch I would sit down and I would ask her as many questions as I possibly could, start going through whiskies with her and really learn about the the production process is is one thing. The blending process is something else. But I left that after three years, you know, really comfortable that I had uh, I had got on, on the pitch with regards knowledge.
0: Now, if people are looking at the Egan name on a bottle today, what should they expect?
1: I mean, what what we try to do, Tiff, is that we try to do no more than our ancestors used to do. So that is be the best bonder, blender and bottler. So we're not a distiller. What we what we offer is access to the best spirit. So we have a number of relationships with really good distilleries in Ireland that produce not only good distillate and good whiskey, but the type of distillate that we feel fits best with brand and there has been a couple of experimental well i I think it's probably fair to call them experimental whiskeys in the egan's range uh vintage grain we were the first to do an all-grain whiskey there's uh fortitude which is the first all px uh matured single malt. but for the most part what you're going to come across is a really good bonding and and blending process so we're very transparent about what's going into the bottles. We're very comfortable talking about the various portions of each types of blend. So there should be a conversation between when you're looking at the bottle and you're holding in your hand what our ancestors would have done. And that's not pretending to be a distiller, not pretending to be anything that we weren't doing 170 years ago, but really just continuing to access and source the best new make spirit, the best mature whiskey and blending and marrying those mature whiskies into into fantastic expressions.
0: Now, tell us a little bit about the sourcing Mm. and the process. How do you choose the casks that you are going to use?
1: Um, A lot of tasting, you know, so... um,
0: But is there anything you're looking for specifically or...?
1: Well, you know, depending on when... Depending on when we choose the cask, our our process will be a little bit different. So at the moment, we buy uh, as new make nearly a thousand casks a year, and that's laid down. Um, that's for the most part in uh, AB1, so first fill uh, bourbon casks and sherry butts, both oloroso and PX. Um, now, I'm very comfortable with the distillate style that is going into those casks. It has it has. Um, uh, it has a profile that is able to withstand long maturation times. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time working with our distributor partners to ensure that we are getting the best the best distillate really for the type of products that we're going to produce. But every single cask that's filled is nosed by me. So you know that takes quite a while to put your face into a thousand casks a year, uh, and there are some that I'm not quite sure about, and we we reject, quite frankly because uh, the mistakes for opening it up 20 years down the line and finding that it wasn't perfect on day one are are, are too expensive so uh, that's the you know what I'm looking for at the new fill level and the more mature whiskey level you know we're, we're trying to think of an interesting blend so a marriage of a few different casks and we'll go through you know if I go up to uh, Great Northern Distillery in Dundalk where a lot of our casks will come from you know you walk into the blending room there and it's like it's like you know Willy Wonka's chocolate factory for adults you know but but with with more booze and and um, and less lumpas and it's great fun it's a great day uh, i have to make sure that i um i don't drive the car up uh, and we'll spend hours uh, going through what we think would be uh interesting products and then we'll bring them home we'll try a few of them again the next few days and we'll you know think okay well that just doesn't work it doesn't fit in the category doesn't fit in our portfolio, it doesn't have a resonance with what we used to do. You know, we're not just trying to recreate what we did, we're trying to take it as a template and make sure that we that we progress and we move forward. But, you know, the 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 focus, Tiff, is always on spirit excellence. And if we're not sure about something, then we we politely move on. Speaking
0: of that process, we'll go back to New Phil.
1: Mm.
0: How do you know what the liquid needs how do you know what sort of barrels to put it in what to blend it with would that come from experience or is that being based on the template you were talking about
1: that comes from experience it comes from probably having kind of 500 ish whiskey tastings i was counting them up the other day it comes from owning Thousands of barrels and seeing them go through their maturation profile it comes from a lot of tasting with a lot of really clever people with really good palates I try to I try to get as many women as I can to taste our whiskies my my experience tiff women have extremely good palates and I try to get non whiskey drinkers to taste them as well because they tend not to rely upon or revert to sort of more um, traditional ways of describing whiskey, and sometimes that's quite refreshing. So I, I, you know, like a lot of good businesses, they collaborate and outsource and include and rely upon experts and non-experts to sort of build a cohesive structure about what is, what's a really good whiskey. And you know, we work a lot with the blenders in our distilleries as well, and they have an idea what we're after. And it's amazing. You know, you add a little you know, add three percent of peated malt, and you like when the you know, the first thing is all you can get is a bit of peach, but then you'll find that it sits alongside the other whiskies and you know doesn't envelope them like a like a heavy aisle of Malt. And you know, there's a lot of the lot of trial and error with those things, and there's a lot of errors. As well. You know, we we try things, and we're just not sure about them, so we don't proceed. And there are some whiskies that are more favoured than others, but we think they're all excellent, and they all stand up in their own right. And they are all the result of a fairly long and exhaustive process—a fairly long, exhaustive and expensive process. Uh, and we we like to feel that we that we hit the mark, but we're always. Always trying to do something interesting uh, whilst keeping whilst keeping an eye on on where we've come from.
0: Now, how much control do you have over the final result? Are the flavours that consumers pick up on flavours that you have designed to be present?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can. I suppose it depends a lot on on the on the circumstances that you're thinking that a drink will be, will be consumed. So, uh, you know, a, a light grain whiskey, so something like vintage grain, which is, you know, sort of nine years old, 10 years old. Uh, it's all bourbon matured, uh, bourbon cask matured. So it's, it's light and floral and, It's sweet, Um, this finish is short, it's got lots of vanillas and things like that. Well, what are the circumstances that this is going to be picked up in, consumed in, in, you know, sometimes straight, sometimes over ice, in a cocktail? So it'll be designed in great part for how we think it's going to be enjoyed. You know, you move to the other end of the spectrum, Tiff, and some of the, you know, very expensive, well, relatively expensive uh, single malt products that we have all the way to the Genesis release. We're looking for something, you know, big and luscious and uh, quite luxurious, uh, you know, make you kind of raise an eyebrow and, and sort of sit back and, 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 you know, give full attention to the drink that you're having. Um, and that will be, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, we, we don't have a, a process where we're doing uh, small releases to see if consumers like them. You know, I have my own informal sort of tasting panel made up of friends and family, a lot of vegans involved in that. So that will be our our um, our profile group, our target group, and we'll design whiskeys really on, on, on the basis of their feedback and, and how we feel uh, it, it lines up with our values.
0: When you are creating an expression, how much thought do you put into the final use? So, for example, the cocktails that it might be consumed in.
1: Uh, when you when you move past, when you move past vintage grain and to uh, a lesser extent to um, single malt products, uh, the, the the no age statement single malt, a lot of our whiskies probably don't lend themselves to participating in cocktails. They're you know it, it it it's it's uh it's your house you can decide what how you want the interior design to look if you buy the whiskey but they're they're you know they're not uh bottom shelf whiskies they stand up you know very well on their own uh over ice with a drop of water if that's if that's how you prefer to take them uh, on the vintage grain side we had a few people around on Saturday night and uh, there was a lot of whiskey sours made, and um, there was a lot of old fashions made. And I suppose there's a conversation between that vintage grain whiskey and some uh, kind of a bourbon style of drink. So, whatever uh, cocktails tend to accommodate bourbon, tend to be happy with vintage grain in them as well. When you move into the, you know, uh, single so or conviction which we'll probably go on to discuss in a few minutes um uh, for the most part they are enjoyed uh, outside of cocktails
0: now let's talk about conviction Mm. you brought that out earlier this year Mm. what flavors should consumers
1: expect from that particular expression Uh, So, Conviction is a a blended whisky. It won um, 2022 Spirits Awards Best Blended Whisky under 12 years old. It's a 10 year, uh, well, uh, age statement 10 years, but there are some uh, uh, whiskeys significantly older than that in there. It's a blend of single malt and uh, single grain whiskeys married together, uh, and then put in a cognac cask. I, I suppose that's quite a good example of of the, the the blending process. We went through lots of different ratios of how much malt we would add, and you know the the, the grain product on its own is really excellent. You know that's one of the one of the uh, one of the, the takeaways that the. The, the spirit plate that it comes off and the amount of copper contact that it has in the column makes it a really good product. I mean, w- we've gone through tastings with people and they are very happy just consuming the grain. And then, then you start adding molds and they're like, wow, it's a completely different drink, but that grain on its own was fantastic. So that has to be the starting point. And with that starting point, then you are going to pick up a lot of those flavor notes that you get from, from grain whiskey, all uh, bourbon matured uh, grain whiskey, which is, caramels fudges uh there's a little bit of spice a little bit cayenne and then you add in a kind of a a well-aged relatively old single malt and it starts to broaden out and you'll get uh those sort of maltier tastes uh it's got a nice um broad feeling on the tongue it's it's quite floral it feels weightier. It feels like it's got. It adds real depth to the whiskey and sits really well alongside the grain. And then you put it in a cognac cask. The cognac does some, something fantastic to it and it continues to make it quite floral. Uh, and it just it sort of calms the whole the whole drink down. And in, whenever I go through flights of Egan's whiskeys, I always. Kind of a start from Vintage Grain and I might finish That's some of the Legacy series. I keep on coming back to conviction because I think it's a really, really sophisticated, well blended product. It is still quite, a, you know, still more expensive whiskey. It's nothing like as expensive as the, the Legacy series, and nothing like as expensive again as Genesis, but sits really well. Sits really well in our range. It's got sort of, you know, on the nose is kind of buttery and grapefruity. Uh, there's quite a lot of dark chocolate and spice, a lot of the elements that you'll get from the malt, and then they are balanced really well with, um, a kind of a more sweeter grain product.
0: Now, an obvious question I assume is where did the name for the expression come from?
1: Uh, well, the, the name is sort of a, a play on words. So PH Egan was started in 1852 by my uh, great, great, great grandfather. Uh, Patrick Egan, he had two sons uh, Patrick Jr. and Henry I am uh, five generations down from Henry Egan and Henry Egan as was his brother was um, a great uh, agitator for uh, for land reform in Ireland. So uh, up until 1829, Catholics couldn't own land in Ireland uh, until the penal laws were repealed. And, you know, for many decades after that, there was still an element of being kind of a second-class citizen as a Catholic in Ireland. And um, Henry Egan was a, a, a strong supporter of the Land League, which agitated for for tenant rights. And he was a man, they say, of great conviction. So we thought as a, as a, as a reference to Henry and his, uh, his endeavors, we would release a whiskey uh, to coincide with a hundred years uh, following his passing in, in 1919. And the second play is, well, the play on words is that as a result of his great conviction uh, and his, uh, his, his dedication to the task, he found himself in prison, convicted on, on on more than one occasion. Yes. Um you. And uh, there's a lot of great stories about Henry. He was, um, uh, you know, on, on one occasion, two uh, prominent land leaguers were, were put in prison, and to try and frustrate in Tullimore jail, as it was at the time, and to try and frustrate the operation of the jail, he and um, other supporters of the land league on one day reportedly visited the jail on 36 separate occasions. And on one of those occasions, smuggled in a tweed suit. Uh, two tweed suits into the uh, into the prisoners because they felt that they shouldn't be in as political prisoners they shouldn't be in the same the same clothing as, as as the more common um criminals and you know when they were released these two these two gentlemen one of whom unfortunately died six months after uh, being released uh, such was the the brutal uh treatment they received in prison but the other. Uh, was uh, was an MP and sitting MP in in Westminster. And every time he went to Westminster, he always wore that tweed suit that was smuggled into Tullamore jail by my great, great uh, grandfather, Henry Egan. So Henry was, um, was, I suppose, a colourful guy, you know, uh, by all accounts, you know, a a great orator, a great, you know, a a strong businessman, you know, great conviction in what he believed. And it was really um, in his honour that this whiskey was released.
0: Now what do you want people to take away from their experience with conviction
1: you know it's it's a really really well made blended whiskey it's it's it shows um, i mean I prefer it I prefer it to either of its component parts on their own, and the cognac cask is doing you know, Cunningcast is doing really interesting things to it. It's it's bringing some of that sort of grapefruit and apricots, it's bringing sort of fine oak taste to it. And, you know, there has been a trend towards moving towards single malts. And I think that they 100% occupy a place, but they are expensive, you know, and uh, they're not for everyone and be inaccessibly expensive in a lot of instances. Uh, And when we wanted to put out conviction, it just felt, felt like it occupied a really nice place in our portfolio it's a nod to henry you know as who is on my side of the family and my cousin who i'm going to uh, japan with on thursday to promote uh, genesis uh, is on the patrick side so it's something that is quite is quite close for me and it's something that i'm really happy to be involved in and, you know, we hope that that people, when they sit down, they, they, they read the, the, um, the marketing material in the box and, and understand how close it is to the people who are still involved in the business and, and, and they enjoy it more and, and feel and, and feel kind of involved in the product.
0: Now, when you talk about people sitting down and reading the box, mm. who is the Egan consumer?
1: there there's there's a large range in the egans uh the egans portfolio, so there will be uh, at the at the less expensive end there might be those who enjoy cocktails more you know at the more expensive uh, uh, range more expensive end of the range those enjoy expensive single malts we're finding more and more women enjoying actually the more expensive drinks. Uh, It's not a dusty old brand. We are trying to align ourselves with what we feel are best in class Irish businesses. So um, we've recently designed whiskey for a two-star mission restaurant called Leith, which is um, not far from where I live, you know, to, to try and pick really amazing spirit for a really amazing business. They they have a, a, a fantastic offering. It's very kind of avant-garde Irish cooking. It's kind of a, a forward-looking brand. You say it's for extraordinary tastes. We, uh, we, we're, we're, we're constantly trying to make sure that we're honest to how the business was set up in the past, but not be stuck there because... You know, unless your second name is Egan, that's not a particularly interesting place to be stuck. Um, it has to be modern. It has to be has to be migratory and evolving and organic, and and that's and that's how we you know that's where we want to land with this. And, and and I feel we've done a good job. And most of the people that we speak to our consumers sort of identify it as being an Irish brand, but not uh, not kind of dusty bottle at the back of the shelf that you only see. Yeah, elderly guys in bars consuming it's 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 for everyone
0: now speaking of that i assume you would agree that there is room within irish whiskey for innovation then
1: mm. yeah 100 percent. so you know I, I i think irish whiskey the irish whiskey technical file affords quite a lot of innovation certainly in regards to wood policy uh, much more so than it does uh, for our, um, our our cousins at, across the border in Scotland, and that really plays into the hands of of a of a bonder and a blender because it does afford you, you know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of innovation, a lot of bandwidth. Uh, you know, you can have a lot of fun with different casks, and and that's where we are. You know, we when we go up uh, to to blending labs and we will take out all of their products and. You know, there might be 50 different cask types that have been used. And some of them, some of them clearly aren't going to be for us. Some of them are, are, you know, for a particular branding offering. But a lot of them are, you know, really interesting ways of presenting presenting Irish whiskey. And, uh, you know, when you look at the story of Ireland, where it's come from, you know, our business was started in 1852. So just when the famine finished in Ireland... So, you know, amongst the darkest periods for Ireland and you look at where it is now as a country and you kind of tell that story and the story of Eagans over that, over that period with this sort of narrative arc that the whiskey seems to provide. It it really feels like, you know, that we've got this great runway in front of us for continuing to innovate and continuing to excite our customers uh, as Ireland and whiskey and the Eagans all move forward together.
0: Now, speaking of moving forward, next year marks the tenth anniversary of the brand's reincorporation mm. Has the last decade been what you thought it was going to be when you decided to relaunch?
1: No, I mean I suppose when when we relaunched it was it was there were there were there were baby steps and you know the main difference Tiff is that irish whiskey is is as uh, has blown up you know over the ten years um and'll do so again over the next ten years i mean in, in,
0: yeah. they
1: estimate by twenty thirty we'll, we'll' we'll outsell Scottish whiskey in the United States so wow. even ten years ago that was that was really unthinkable so we're very fortunate uh that we are uh our boat is being lifted by this uh rising water. And had we been asked to predict that 10 years ago, no one would have really predicted it. The other thing we didn't predict is how the world has really taken to the particular style of distillate that Irish whiskey tends to produce versus scotch versus bourbon, North American whiskeys. And that that's kind of that's fortuitous. And I don't think anyone planned that or if they did, they didn't reveal those plans to me. So the the path has been a meandering one, much like the Egan story. It's been, you know, there's been many successes and many challenges and and an equal measure. And no one likes hearing about a business that has got nothing but successes. No one likes hearing about a family that has had nothing but great commercial uh, success. Um, And ours isn't that story. It's, it's, It's constant work. It's constant endeavor. And where we are now, we didn't think we were going to be there now. But when you look at the hundreds of thousands of hours of work that have gone in over the last ten years, maybe we should have. Maybe we should have expected to have made a success of it. And um, uh, and we're not stopping, of course. We're, uh, we um, uh, we are. It's it's uh, all you know, shoulders to the wheel at the moment as, as we push the brand forward.
0: Now, if you're not stopping, what should people expect from the brand in the future?
1: I really like the idea of doing you know, increasingly sophisticated blended whiskies, using interesting cask types, leaning on aspects of the familial history. We have um, a release just for the Japanese market uh, called Genesis. And it is uh, 170 bottles uh, to commemorate 170 years of the incorporation of P&H Egan, which happened in 1852. And it is, it's fantastic. It's, it's an, it's a, Beautiful whiskey in a beautiful in a beautiful pack, and it's really exciting selling products like that because you you know you sort of feel like you're 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 an ambassador for Ireland, and we're we are you know literally going off to the far east to sort of spread the story of of Irish whiskey uh, and the Eagans and quality and and hard work, and that's the sort of if we if we can keep our business in, in in with that as its guiding principle we'll continue to put out fantastic whiskies and that's one of the things that johnny uh, my my third cousin and i talk about all the time just you know how do we make sure that we we don't shock anyone uh, and upset anyone with the sort of whiskies that we put out or the direction we take the company and the, the way we've decided to do that is to almost assume, Tiff, that our ancestors are in the same room as us and they're kind of eavesdropping on conversations that we have. And if we do everything honestly and we don't pretend to be doing anything that we're not doing and we give full transparency about, about the whiskies that we're producing and the direction we're taking the company, uh, we think we'll be successful.
0: Now, if people want to get their hands on a bottle of Egan's, mm. uh, where can they find it?
1: Well, I suppose that that depends where you are, you know. We have a exclusive deal with Total Wine & More in the United States, we're with Master Malt in the UK, we're with Celtic Whiskey Shop in Ireland, number of online retailers. We're going to we're expanding into uh, Nigeria uh, next year, which is oh bless. Yeah, which is kind of amazing. I'm going to Japan. Thursday, I've never been to Japan. I've never been to Nigeria. I'm the the first guy to put my hand up and say, I want to be the guy going to Nigeria. Uh, I think that sounds like so much fun. Mm. Uh, You know, we're expanding. We're we're still a a small brand. Um, We want to make sure that we partner with the right distributors who understand us. A lot of my time is spent educating distributors as to exactly how to describe our product, meeting with key accounts. Um, But that takes a lot of time. You want to make sure that we want to make sure that we that we don't do anything hasty, you know, we don't make mistakes. Um because it's very easy to happen, you know, you can have your head turned yeah. and uh it's 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 difficult to, to to repair damage like that. So we're making sure that we're opening up more and more uh accounts and geographies, uh but in a in a measured and, and sober way if if you'll allow the pun.
0: Now, if people want more information about Egan's, they can, of course, go to your website, which mm. is com, mm-hmm. or alternatively connect with the brand on your socials. Mm-hmm.
1: We're always happy to engage literally directly with any consumer who wants to know anything about any of our whiskeys.
0: Anyway, Rupert, look, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
1: That's my pleasure. That's my pleasure, and thank you for having me, too.
0: And we'd also like to thank you for listening. Be sure to visit cocktailsdustill.com to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers.